0: Ali Ali, here's Lucas Moura, oh they've done it, Hello, listeners, and welcome back to an extra special episode this week of the Plus Day Podcast. We are, of course, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show, brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. In addition, this week, I said it was a special episode, it is my honour to bring to you a special guest joining us for the first time this week, the man who I would happily go on record to cite as one of the main inspirations for the Plus Day Podcast, one of the guys that got me to feel that I could start a Spurs podcast way back all those years ago, huge fan of his show many of you may be familiar with this guy many of you may be familiar with his podcast one of the ogs of spurs podcasting it is my pleasure to bring to you the host of the extra inch chris miller aka windy windy welcome to the plus day podcast thanks for joining us how are you doing what an introduction that was, that
1: was, that was <laughs> no one's ever blown smoke up my ass quite like yeah. that that's <laughs> incredible. I, I want to spend a lot more time with you well, that's, that's, that's the plan yeah that's the plan so nice of you um yeah lovely to be here lovely to meet you all yeah
0: i'm i'm excited to see what the next hour can bring fantastic. Well, I'm considerably less nice to the rest of them, by the way. That was extra special treatment for you. But <laughs> how are you feeling about sitting on the other side of the microphone today, so to speak, and answering more of the questions than asking? Do you know what it does feel a bit weird. I'm so used to being in control and having,
1: <laughs> and control makes it sound way worse than actually it is. I'm used to having control <laughs> of the narrative and knowing what's coming next. Yeah, um, and knowing which questions I'm going to ask next. Yeah. So uh, yeah, being on the other side does
0: feel a bit odd. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I don't feel like I have any control over what's coming next either. So well, we're on the same boat. <laughs> for this one with slightly less professional outfit than you guys but we'll do our best we'll do our best and to make you feel at home we've surrounded you with a couple of fairly outspoken opinionated mediterraneans to, to uh, <laughs> fill in for bardi this week so introduce the rest of the team starting with my sidekick and best friend elio welcome back how are you doing
2: i feel like you can start calling me your sidekick when you prove that you watch more than six matches in between clinsman <laughs> leaving and <laughs> harry Kane breaking through <laughs>
0: There were no matches in between that time. Come on. How are you doing today?
2: Yeah, not bad. Conversely, to the last international break, it's been nice to have no football for a week. I'm probably getting to the point now where I'll start looking forward to next weekend. So you've caught me on the right day. Tomorrow I might have been a bit grumpy about the lack of (laughs) Ange, but yeah Yeah, it's it's been nice to have a bit of a breather after things began
0: to go a bit peak tongue really i'm hoping we've caught you in that sweet spot between the immediate aftermath rage of a game and the grumpiness missing football where your language is going to be relatively family friendly i
2: missed the last pod and (laughs) socks aptly filled in as the show expert slash nutcase so i think (laughs) i think that's taken the edge off of everything now and to go. tell you the truth, you'll know by the end of the episode, depending on what the swear word count looks like.
0: <laughs> yeah, I look forward to editing that. I can't think of a much better introduction than you just gave to Socks, so um, I'll leave it right there. Socks, welcome back for another episode. How are you feeling? Yeah,
3: good, thanks. I mean, the way you introduced Windy at the beginning, even though I can see his face, I was halfway through your introduction and thought, fucking hell, he's got Joe Rogan on. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, he's not here. He's not here as Windy. Yeah, here we
2: are. I feel like that's just stereotyping. <laughs> <laughs>
0: might well be but yeah happy to be here as always brilliant and last but not least dave the man for whom the show is named welcome back you're surrounded by even more spurs fans than usual you can't get away from us how you doing
4: yeah totally yeah. outnumbered for the listeners i'm wearing a red top today oh, which uh, <laughs> which is, is just trying to be different just trying to wind you all up yeah. it's, it's, I, I mean i'm i'm against I was gonna red say, say is guys heresy? You, this is actually yeah a- this is a 49ers top, our evil overlords. Oh, I so I uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's just about allowed. It's one of three red things that I own, the other two being England shirts from the 90s and noughties. Fair enough.
0: I think we'll let you off, Dave. We'll let you off. I mean, you, first of all, you were late, then you tried to start talking about cricket, and now you're wearing red. But we'll give you an extra strike just to be nice, right? Because it's a special occasion. On today's show, we are, of course, going to be talking about Tonham Osborne and about Ange Postacoglu. We're in an international break, so we kind of talked about the last game. We've kind of looked ahead to the next game. We're going to have a little bit more of a high-level discussion today. Windy, of course, has kindly agreed to join us to help us with that. So we're going to look back on the Ange era so far, his reign at Spurs and what the future holds for Tottenham. And of course, we are going to look a little bit closer over the next month or so because it looks like a particularly challenging time for Spurs. So we're going to get into a bit more about what the next month or two looks like for Spurs in our perceived injury slash suspension crisis. But more on that in a bit. Before we get into all of that, Windy, I just wanted to talk to you quickly just just about the extra inch and about you, really, because obviously I mentioned in the intro, big inspiration to me, big inspiration for us. And I've been listening for a few years, but by no means the whole runtime since you've been going. And I realize you've been going since, what was it, 2017? Yeah. So yeah. I think at that point, podcasting in general wasn't even that big a thing, let alone Spurs podcasting. You're definitely one of the first ones to start doing it. Now, when I tell people I've got a podcast, they say, yeah, you and every other wanker I know, It's back in those days, I feel <laughs> like you were more of a trailblazer. Yeah. How did it all start? Because it's obviously the same trio since the beginning. What was the backstory? What's the Extra Inch origin story? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so you're right. It was a much more
0: exclusive group of anchors back then. Um, <laughs> we, So, Bardi and
1: I were both on The Fighting Cock, which oh, right, is right. one of the OG yeah. Spurs podcasts. Yeah. Alongside The Spurs Show, I think it was basically the first. And I guess I was on The Fighting Cock for years and years and years, and I'm still friends with those guys. But it got to a point where I wanted to talk a little bit more about tactics and. We kind of experimented with doing some tactical specials, which he called the extra inch. And the idea was the fighting cock, the extra inch, uh, like ah. the bake off the extra
0: slice. So, yeah, very hilarious. Um, <laughs> And um, all this time, I was hoping it was something more subtle than a penis joke, but. It's joke. It's a dick joke, a dick joke all the way along. Um,
1: Basically, we realized quite quickly that talking about the same game in a slightly different way just wasn't going to work. So, Flav, who runs the Fighting Cock, suggested that we break out and go it alone, which I was quite apprehensive about, to be honest, because I wasn't used to being in charge. I wasn't used to running the show. But Bardi and I decided that we'd just go for it. And at that time, Nathan A. Clark, who is a key member of our squad, he was doing tactical videos under the name Talking Tottenham Tactics. And they were very rough and ready, but I loved the style and I loved the content. Mm. And I kind of had a few DM chats with Nathan and I just said to him, look, why don't you come on our podcast and, and see what happens? And from then on, the Extra trinch was born. We recorded a couple in the studio. We then did a few a few more like face-to-face in person. And then during the pandemic, we really hit our stride and we started doing the remotely. Yeah. And it's it's been it's been weekly since then. And back then, I mean, we got a, a good number of listens because we had the fighting cock audience, mm. which was really helpful to kind of get us started. But it's grown significantly. And I think as Nathan's become sort of more renowned for his tactical expertise, it's really found a home in, yeah. the, in the Spurs podcast community. And we launched a Patreon, which I was very nervous about. I thought, who's going to want to pay to listen to us? And it'd be very <laughs> embarrassing if we end up with 20 patrons, But... <laughs> it's become a viable business and I'm very happy to say that it's Nathan's job now. You know, we yeah. we essentially pay this is his work. He probably gets paid more than most football analysts at clubs, which, you know. Yeah. They don't get paid very much. So it's not saying a great deal, but I'm, I'm very proud of that fact. I love doing it. It takes up an awful lot of my time. I've got a full-time, quite demanding day job as well. So I'm always tired, but uh, it's, it's great. It's, it's so much fun. I love I love working with Nathan and Bardi. And yeah, we I think we put out a really good podcast.
0: I can only agree. Off the back
2: of all of that, I'm just thinking how I can try and shift away from these guys and get onto yours then, <laughs> now that you've actually, actually monetizing it. Um, I do have a little question around that, that I guess... How long would you reckon... Forget about sort of feeling like the podcast's big or largely follow or anything like that, but we've been doing this just over a couple of years. Now, I'm hoping you heard us at some point before Dag started stalking you. (laughs) But how long would you say it took you to really feel in a rhythm with it on feel like you had a slick product feel like it was actually something that if you weren't biased you'd turn on listen to and think okay i can listen to this the same way i could listen to one of the peter crouch ones or the matches they produced ones or something like that
1: Mm. that's a really good question i think in terms of the sound and the way it comes across we were very fortunate that nathan has a sort of sound production background so i always felt like i was in safe hands in that respect but I think when we got into our Australian in lockdown and we're doing it weekly, I think the thing is part of the thing with podcasts is regularity. People want you at the same time every week, ideally. And when you miss a week, people get unhappy about it. But is someone taking notes?
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you hopefully. And, and I reckon like two or three months in to our regular podcasting during lockdown, I think I felt like, yeah, this is good. I feel really happy with what we're producing here. We're we're talking about the games in a way that no one else is certainly not in podcasts. I mean, people would have these conversations on Twitter and in pubs with their mates but... I felt like we were the only podcast in the Spurs community who were doing sort of deep dives into tactics yeah. um, and analytics and that kind of thing and data. So yeah, it did feel like we were onto something quite unique. And then you kind of, you get noticed by people and there were sort of wider football tactics, people who I respect that started saying, oh, you know, I listen, I'm listen. i not a Spurs fan, but I listen to your podcast and, and that felt really good. And, yeah. Yeah, that, that's when I knew we really were, you know, making a good product.
2: Actually having people who know what they're talking about say that- that they're interested in you talking about the thing you love <laughs> is probably quite the ego booster i imagine no one <laughs> actually yet. says that to us yet so i was gonna <laughs> say yeah.
0: one day keep fingers crossed yeah we'll get there
2: and he completely ignored my not so subtle invite to say no no i heard of you guys before daggers started stalking me
1: <laughs> i will be honest and say that i didn't no. i hadn't yeah. heard of you but as soon as daggs emailed us i did listen to a few episodes i really enjoyed them i mean again i'll be honest i don't really have much time to listen to spurs podcast these days <laughs> i not <didn't, so laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm super busy. Um... When I do listen to Spurs pods I really like a Radio and there's a podcast called Wicked Spursy which is made by a couple of friends of mine in Vermont and then yeah. I do listen to your pod as a, as a third rotation. There we go. I will
0: take that happily. Third rotation yeah, definitely. I will like, uh, I'll take that with both hands. Well, thanks.
1: Can we get a little approved
3: by Windy something?
0: That's the name of this episode approved by Windy. I'll get yeah. that
2: on the back of my Spurs shirt for, for matches.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well on, on the put you We've obviously got your Patreon followers, your ex subs, as I believe they're known. I think some of them may mm-hmm. well be listening to us right now because you're going to release this on your Patreon content too. So shout out to you guys and and yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of the way that your podcast comes across. It is a bit more tactical. You do go into a little bit more detail than some of the others out there. You know, each to their own. Some of them are a slightly different tone, but I like to think we follow in your footsteps a little bit and try and get into the tactics where we can. It does get a little bit silly from time to time, but you know, we're only human and Spurs drive <laughs> us all to madness once in a while. So we'll try and get into the tactics today and. Talk talk a little bit more in detail but just to bring it back to you before I give all the other guys a bit more airtime let's take a high level and just bring you up to speed because obviously we're here to talk about Spurs and Ange this season specifically and, and what that can lead to so three months ago now we hired this unfancied relatively unknown Greek Australian man with a arguably questionable CV and um, a lot of people were not really sure what to make of him what was your honest reaction when we hired Poster Coglu. What were your expectations for the season and how far wide of those expectations has the reality been? I think I was a bit
1: spoilt because I had kind of some inside information. So there's yeah. a guy in our Discord called DAP. Who is a massive Celtic fan and Spurs fan? Mm. And he was banging on about Ange for months before we were even linked. So, between Dap and then Nathan's research and, and findings into Ange, I basically knew that he was a really talented coach and had high hopes. But obviously, you never know quite how it's going to translate between leagues. Mm-hmm. He'd already scaled up a couple of times, but the Premier League's different, isn't it? The level of expectation is different. The level of tactical mastery is different. The resources he was working with were different. So you, you never quite know how it's going to go. And I've been incredibly pleasantly surprised by how it's gone on the pitch. I kind of knew how it would go off the pitch. I knew that he was just like the nicest guy, yeah. complete human being, like well-rounded person who um, has empathy and understands people. and makes an effort to get to know his squad members. Yeah, so I, like that isn't a great big surprise to me. But the on-pitch stuff, I would say it's gone way better than I thought
0: it could. Yeah, I think the expression we keep on using is ahead of schedule, basically, and, and that seems to be the theme, right? I think no For one sure. is completely shocked that we have reached a point where we're playing this kind of football and that we're getting results from time to time, but I think it's how quickly that's happened. And, and Socks, you've said that a few mm-hmm. times, haven't you? I think you fully expected that we had this in our locker and we had the capacity to play games with this kind of attacking football to get results, but you were thinking maybe towards the end of the season or or even early next season. Yeah, Socks wants the season to end now. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get on to we'll talk about next year as well. But yeah, safe to say he's exceeded your expectations, isn't he? Yeah, because
3: I just saw this as Poch 2.0. Like if you remember the team Pochettino inherited, Lurie, Sericsson, Vertonghen obviously came breaking through, Mm. Rose Walker... It was quite similar in the sense that the starting eleven was a few players off, but the depth was non-existent. And some players, like even Dembele, didn't really hit his stride until the next season. I've said it before a few times on this pod where I remember us playing maybe two good games that year where you looked at it and thought, this is what a Pochettino team looks like. And they were home at Arsenal, the 2-1, and home against Chelsea. Even towards the back end of that season, I remember us going to Stoke and getting absolutely pumped like 3-0 And you could look at other clubs like you look at sort of arsenal of the big six say are probably the closest analog to us in terms of structure finances what have you their project obviously only really kind of properly took off when people took them seriously last year Club took four years to win a big trophy unfortunately our expense so these things just in terms of the kind of football and style forget the trophies for a second normally take one two three four years and it did so with us under potch so for us to be doing this within games one two three four and five The reason I joked on the last episode is that I wanted the season to end is because I've already seen the season as mission accomplished. I don't think we (laughs) maybe quite have enough of the squad to to get top four at the moment. We've only got one cup competition that we can realistically win and I don't think we're going to win it. So I'm almost like, I feel agitated because I'm I'm now seeing so much where I trust the manager and I trust the team. And it's like, all right, imagine how good it can be in 12 months. Imagine how good it can be in 18 months. Imagine how good it can be in two years. And at the moment, it feels like I'm being denied the happiness I want just because of a consequence of just a lack of time and the lack of the right players. So in a way, it's a really, really good thing because I should have been saying this in March, April, May. So the fact that we've all been saying this, or at least me and I think others feel the same way in September, October, November means that, all right, I'm going to have to reel myself in a bit, be a little bit more patient. And it feels like a Spurs fan's asked to be patient and go on this project for 20 years it's like going around the M25 we're just <laughs> constantly going around in a circle and we
2: never get off the junction or whatever but yeah I, I'm pleased and agitated at the same time I feel like Sox is saying the exact same things every week can't we just pre-record him and not invite him back as a result <laughs> Windy, there might be a spot for you you, you just want more end time end. okay
0: we see right through you I, absolutely I think that's probably fair to say and I think a lot of us are surprised by how quickly it's, it's turned out but yeah you're right this season it's like we've got a taste of it. and I think a lot of people are now Thinking next year. But for whatever it's worth, Elio, because you weren't here last week, we we talked a little bit about. I guess recalibrating. I, I know, I'm saying in terms of getting your opinion on it. We talked a bit about recalibrating our expectations for this year. Well, what are you thinking now in terms of, because I know at the beginning of the year, we all kind of agreed as long as it's not a disaster and we finish in some respectable top half position, but we play nice football and the seeds are there, we can start to see the beginnings of this project, then that's great. But obviously, then we went top of the league, then we were unbeaten, then we were right up there. Obviously, things have changed with the recent developments, a few injuries and stuff. But what are your expectations now? What's the um, benchmark for this season and what do you want to get out of the rest of the year?
2: I still feel like I'd be disappointed to finish outside the top four but I said that at the beginning of the season before we kicked a ball and fit the profile of what I wanted from a manager which was someone who'd be grateful for the job quite frankly it yeah. was of all our successes as managers in terms of taking us forward as a club have been people for whom we were the Nadir it was Martin Yoll it was Harry Redknapp it was Pochettino and now Postacoglu so as far as I'm concerned he ticked the box of it being such a great opportunity for him that he'd be Until he got too big, like Pochettino eventually did and expected more, he'd be willing to work within the board's parameters and also work to fulfill the fans' expectations. So good football, clever budgeting. He'd be willing to sign up for that. And that's exactly what he has done so far, to be fair. So I think my expectations remain the same. I still think top four is what we should be aiming for. If it's a valiant effort and we narrowly miss out because it's a very hard league, then so be it. But I don't see why we shouldn't. We we yep. don't have the distraction of European football. We don't have the League Cup either. We have an excellent first team. I mean, a really, really good first team. They're, you mm-hmm. look at our first team alone and you think there's an argument for third or second best in the league, never mind fourth. The injuries have screwed us a little bit, but injured players come back. Other clubs get injuries too. Arsenal still a saliva injury away from their season falling apart. So, again. Again, yeah. Yes. So... I think once we get through this slightly tricky period where we may underperform a little bit compared to what we've Mm. done so far, the suspensions will return, the injuries will return and we'll go through another good period. We'll have January to hopefully reinforce a little bit before the 31st. You can only hope. And if at the end of the season we achieve the kind of points total that we should in this league. Because let's not forget the sort of bottom five or six sides are also exceptionally weak this year. So I think you're going to have at least five sides getting sort of 66, 67 points plus this season. So if we can get sort of 75, 76 points by the end of the season, which we're more than on track for already, then we'll get top four. And I'll be saying I told you so when we get to the (laughs) last episode. And we all know how
0: you love to do that, Elliot. (laughs) Well, I'm still waiting for Jack Clark to prove me right, so. We'll we'll get back onto him in a little bit. But now you hit the nail on the head, in terms of our first team, isn't the issue. I think most people agree that we've got an excellent first team, but obviously football doesn't work that way and you need a squad and you need depth and we can get on to talk about which fingers to point at whom for that. But I feel like this is where we need Dave for a little bit of impartiality. We need to come to our VAR over there, our man on the outside. Elio said that he thinks that in terms of the quality of our first team, we're maybe second or third best in the league. Obviously, we need to bolster the squad and we need to have people who can come in and maybe even improve the first team. But would you agree with that? Do you think that Spurs have a competitive first team? I and mean, in some bizarro world where no one got injured or suspended or shipped off to some international tournament in January, we have a team capable of challenging for the title as it stands? I mean,
4: that's a difficult hypothetical yeah. to answer. But I think if you look at anybody's best elevens in the top six, you're talking about six extremely strong mm. sides. And I think when you start talking about that, it does come a little bit down to what you guys have all touched on already in terms of that kind of the poshtakoglu effect that has happened to the club. And I think every coach could or could not fit into a club. And I think it is that fit that kind of is the almost, it's the gamble yes. wherever you go. I mean, the perfect example that, that is happening right now is, is Unai Emery in the sense that, you know, he was successful in, He went to Arsenal and he failed. He went to PSG and he failed. He went to VRL, he succeeded again. And now he's at Villa and so far so good, he's very much succeeding. And it's not necessarily he went from a good coach to a bad coach, but it was the fit. And I think that's probably something that, you know, was touched on with the players in terms of what Elio touched on in terms of the coaches hitting that Nadia. I think that happens for the players as well, because, you know, we have already talked about Madison as well, as a fact that, you know, he was really good last season, but he's just gone completely other level Mm -hmm. this season because he's realised, that he's gone to a bigger club and he needs to perform better and he needs to be better. Yeah. So and, better and he's got a good
0: coach. For a better And he's got
4: a good coach. Exactly yeah. my point. Yeah, because it's all about everything fitting at the same time and everybody playing better. So yeah. I'm not going to go on record and say that, you know, the best Spurs team is, on paper, eleven is better than the other five. But I'm saying that where you are right now with the, yeah. with the team... On paper and the coach, which is a good fit for the mm. club, you're onto a good. They thing. could be
0: better than the sum of their parts. Yeah, exactly. I think when you're looking at that, it's quite exciting, isn't it? Because you, you start to think about what this team could do next year. I think jokes aside, it's become a bit of a running joke on this podcast, Wendy where every week I turn to Socks and I say, "Could we win the league? How about how about now that we get another three points? Socks, could we win the league now? What about now? Could we?" And I'm doing it to wind him up. I don't genuinely believe that we're in that conversation, <laughs> um, despite what some people might say on Twitter. Yeah, well, yeah. At least that's yeah, my official yeah. that's my official line as of the last two games, anyway. Um, but that being said, I think we are potentially a few significant, but only a few changes away from being in that position, maybe next year or even the year after. And of course, the year you started the podcast around Poschino third year was when they reached their apex, essentially. And we were maybe not unlucky to not win the league, but we were right up there. And we were certainly title contenders a couple of times. What do you think needs to change? How close are we with this squad, with this manager, with this project at its current stage of development from being genuine title challengers? And what do you think we're missing to get to that step?
1: Oh, God. I tweeted about this about 10 days before the Chelsea game saw, and yeah. people were very angry with me because I was basically saying we've got a really good first 11 yeah. and everyone knows that it's, yeah. it's obvious but to compete for the league we're missing and essentially went through the whole team and said you know one player in every position there are some positions where I think we're okay but broadly speaking we do need a backup or competition in pretty much every role yeah because City just have immense depth And it's not just City, you know, Liverpool are looking like they might be about to go back to where they once were, and they've got so much spending power as well, and good young players coming through. Chelsea under Pochettino are probably going to have a resurgence. So I feel like our first eleven is good enough to compete with pretty much everyone Mm. with Posta Coglu at the helm, but you know next year hopefully we'll be in european competition and that changes everything so we have to have an essentially another team as good as the first 11 in order to be able to compete now i think some of those rotation players and backup players can come from within so you know, maybe Postacoglu can work wonders with someone we're not really expecting him to work wonders with. Maybe Lascello becomes the player we hoped yeah. he would be, or maybe Brian Hill breaks out and starts looking the part, or maybe Jamie Donnelly gets a chance, and I honestly think Jamie Donnelly has the talent to be a Premier League player. So, so that could really help. Yeah. But if we're being realistic, we probably do need eight quality players to come in mm. to, to compete for the league. And that's, what, three windows minimum? Yeah. Maybe four. If for the right players, um, yeah. We've still got some deadwood to shift as well. So our transfer windows <laughs> look like they're going to be fairly busy for the next, next few, at least. But that's not unrealistic. As long as Bostokoglu sticks around, as long as we keep moving in the right direction, as long as the incentive is there for players to come in and get chances and, and be able to prove themselves and, and stay in the first team... Mm. I don't think that's unrealistic. I think we can be starting to think about, you know, trophies
0: and hopefully a league title. It's just that we're not quite there yet. So the short answer basically is Man City get relegated to League 2 and then we have a chance basically. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. What we need is financial fair <laughs> yeah. play to actually kick in and for there to be some consequences to actions. Exactly. But one
0: thing you don't want to do
4: is you don't want to pick up all of Man City's players because that will not be their Nadir. We've said Nadir three times and
3: I'm pretty sure the definition of the word is the lowest point, right? Isn't Nadir the, the bad thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm keeping saying it. I'm going
2: to change it all by keep saying Hold it. Hold on a
3: minute. This is the opposite of what yeah. you mean, surely. <laughs> I was like, it can't ju- It can't just
0: be me that thinks You know this. what? I'm
2: glad that I made a mistake <laughs> and then everybody just followed through with it because that way we all look like tits
0: the fool or the fool who follows him as they say anyway moving swift moving swiftly on and for those listening on the edit final cut that never happened So yeah, obviously there's a lot of change that needs to take place, so um, I guess we can look ahead to that and see what that will look like. But you mentioned potentially a couple of players within, so it'd be interesting to talk about some of the players that perhaps haven't had a chance to shine yet, haven't really had a chance. And you mentioned maybe Hoskoglu can get the best out of them. I think we've seen that already. I think a lot of people were all but writing off Pedro Porro. A lot of people were saying that, you know, Destiny Adobe is a bit too young to be in the team. And I think a lot of people thought maybe Davies would be the starter at the beginning of the season. So he surprised us with a few players. Saar is another one. So he's obviously got it. He's got what it takes to, to bring the best out. Out of certain players. You mentioned in that tweet that you mentioned a moment ago that potentially some of these could come through from the youth and you just touched on Jamie Donnelly there Another tweet I noticed when you were talking about the guy to fill in for Madison in the short term and obviously someone Mm. who could form an important part of the squad longer term. Your number one choice was Jamie Donnelly for that. Mm. I don't know a huge amount about him other than he keeps scoring. He scored again the other day. What can you tell us about him in particular? Because he's an exciting prospect.
1: He really is exciting. So he scored a last minute winner for England under-19s on Saturday. He scored for them in midweek as well. He's just in a ridiculous streak. He's won Premier League Two Player of the Month basically he started off as a striker in the under 16s played a lot of a striker in the under 18s and has progressively played deeper and deeper mm. to the point when he's now playing the kind of 8-10 hybrid role that madison plays for us and i personally think he's the best sort of natural madison replacement because he's the closest profile fit we have within the squad i think the celso is a good player and i think he's certainly a functional player. I don't think he's a natural 10. I think he's more of an eight. And I also think, I don't know, his heart's not yeah, really in Caldwell it anymore. I think. I think he, yeah, yeah. He, I I just see him as someone who regrets joining and, <laughs> and is keen to go back to Spain as soon as possible. And, and so I sort of think, why bother investing more time mm-hmm. and effort in him? You know, maybe he'll help us over the next couple of months and I'll look silly. But I just think now, like what's the, what's the downside of playing Donnelly? Um, uh, at least once or twice, just mm. seeing how he gets on. He yeah. looks physically ready as well. Yeah, he's, he's a strong lad. He's So, his main attributes are really good long-range passing, really good finishing, but also insane pressing. He's a brilliant presser. So, he's Madison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's not the most mobile. He's, he's not as nimble as Madison, but he's not slow. He's not cumbersome. He's not awkward. He's just not the quickest. And I think he would really fit in well. And I think when you've got a player albeit playing against you know young men and shining i think you know tap into what you can he's in a ridiculous hot streak at that level mm. now's the time
0: to sort of try and bring some of that energy to the first team, I think. It's a good time as well because it's quite low pressure, isn't it? I know we've lost a couple of games exactly. and you could argue that there's more pressure. But a young player coming in at this point where we've got a couple of games that no one's expecting us to fly away with could be a good chance to give him a chance or someone else. But we'll get onto to the immediate future in a little bit. We'll talk about the Villa game and the Man City game and obviously our mini crisis that we have to navigate through. But he's definitely one for the future long term. Um, Elio, I think you probably agree that if we are going to be challenging for trophies in the next two, three years, we do need to add a little bit of depth. What are the most important positions for you? What do you think should be the priorities Maybe not necessarily this January, but next summer, what do you think would be the main positions being strengthened?
2: We definitely need one more top class centre back to choose from. I'm not going to go and say we need two because I think two equal players for every position is a bit fanciful unless you do have a sovereign state um, <laughs> behind you. But I do think yeah. one top class centre back, someone who you could make a good argument for displacing either Romero or Van der Ven, and you wouldn't sort of bat an eyelid if that. Player was in for them also means it has to be someone who's quite rapid uh, yeah. because that's that that will be a prerequisite. We're being linked to the likes of Lloyd Kelly, for instance, mm. um, which I, I don't know a huge lot about him. I think he's looked decent enough when I've seen him, and now that he's played fullback a bit as well, which he suggests a uh, centre back who can play a bit as well. But I can't uh, watch Bournemouth enough to form much of an opinion there. I think the most important thing we need to do, especially now that he's become the centre forward for this team, is sort of we thought he would, is we need succession plan for Son. Because Son's move into the middle is a symptom of both our need to have a great finisher still in that position. So yeah, there isn't a better finisher than Son with both feet in world football. So take that. But it's also a symptom of the fact that he hasn't quite got the winger style ability to go one direction, go the other direction. Exactly. And he was never a great one on one player anyway, but he used to be a great sort of ball chaser of sort of the Gareth Bale variety. And Mm. now that he's gone into the middle, I think it's a case of tapping into his strengths as long as possible, but they are going to wane and we don't want to be in the same situation with him that we were when Vatongan and Alderweireld were replaced by the guys that had been their second choices for ages I mean maybe that's what the signing of Feliz is who knows but I'd rather it was someone who we gave a proper sort of tuition to as understudy then replacement to the way sort of City have operated for years and the way Arsenal have begun operating as well who that is I'll be fine now because I, there's only so much football you can watch and there is always the argument that anyone coming into the Premier League from outside is a lottery of a signing, but. There will be someone and we need to get it right because, well, Son's going to score roughly a third of our goals this season and we can't rely on him to still be doing that in two, three years' time.
0: We're back to the same dilemma a little bit as we were when we had Kane in that position where we need someone good enough to be an understudy but not so good that they expect to start and that's the issue. I think we thought we had that in Richarlison but obviously that hasn't panned out.
2: I think the difference there is that the style of player that Son is means whoever that understudy is, is someone who will also invariably be able to play on the flanks, yeah. which wasn't the case with any kind of genuine Kane understudy because Kane was a freak, basically. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. it, with no disrespect to Son in the slightest because he has been an absolute and still is a world-class player. But his understudy, mm. I mean, it might be Brennan Johnson for all I know. The guy might yeah. already be there. And in two years' time, we'll see him down the middle with a re-signed great entertainer of his generation, Jack Clark, out yeah. on the left wing. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but,
0: um, I thought- but- I feel like at this point I, I need to explain this because you, you've you mentioned Jack Clark twice now we, we have a bit of a running joke where Elio basically picked out Jack Clark Wendy as I think his words were exactly that his generation's next great entertainer or something I think we've all been guilty in the past of getting overexcited
2: I do want to add though I said that about Jack Clark six months before we were even linked off the back yeah. of watching one match against Darby so it wasn't a Spurs bias that made me say that it was just because <laughs> I saw him remind me a bit of Chris Waddle and I thought yeah. okay
0: and he's not exactly doing bad nowadays is he? he's actually he's a bit of form hasn't he so to be fair you might prove right in the long run so so you know jack clark is really good you will be my redemption yeah, he is yeah really let's good. see yeah to give Elio his credit he was the first person I ever heard say the name Harry Kane so I'm not going to say he discovered him but you definitely brought him to my attention so I feel like you redeemed yourself somewhat with that one but anyway Sox do you think there's any positions in particular that we haven't mentioned that are crucial to replace any depth that we're lacking or any players in the first team that you think could be upgraded Look, if we're talking about winning a title then we're 9 or 10 players away and that's
3: I would argue I'm being it's gone from 8 to 10 slightly well, it's, it's almost every <laughs> single position and I'm not going to go over every single one because it will be boring in detail but if the club has anything about it it's aiming to win a league in about 2026 onwards and I say that for two reasons one is because it's enough time and enough windows to bring these sorts of players in two it's enough time to allow Ange to do the stuff on the training pitch in terms of coaching because that is the sort of thing that even if you had all the players there right now there are certain things that you just cannot accelerate and three by that point both Pep and Klopp will have pissed off I think Pep's contract expires in 2025 Mm. and Klopp's is in the summer of 2026. So if the club has anything about it, and to be fair, if you're Arsenal... Manchester United, Chelsea, Newcastle yeah. United and maybe even now you want to throw them in there even if it's slightly premature. Everybody's mm. got the same idea. There are different ways to play football but it's looking at it and going, okay, we're going to wait for this big transition period because even if they step down and go to say, I don't know, who would the next best manager in the world be? It could be Alonso, maybe he's at Madrid, I don't know, it could be Nagelsmann. There will always be, football always goes in cycles and sometimes cycles are longer than others but even a Sir Alex Ferguson Manchester United team had a couple of years when Jose Mourinho first came in where they had to rebuild a little bit and come back stronger. So if the club has anything about it, we can sit here now and say, we need a better left back to rotate with the doge. Sure, we need a better right back to that's more of a style of Porro. Yes, that's true as well because Emerson is a completely different type of player. But you also need time to allow Destiny Udogi, who has shown some rawness in the last few games, to mature into the play we know he can. You need some time for Pape Sarr to discover what the hell he actually is, because both him and Andrew have spoken about, mm. well, we don't quite know if he's an 8 or a 6 or a 10 yet. So you can... Buy somebody to come in and rotate with him. I suspect that's probably been to call already. But to get all this stuff, to get the coaching, to get to the recruitment, for the stars to align—that is, if the club has any kind of ambition, that is roughly. The, and it's not that arbitrary. I mean, why not twenty twenty five? I suppose, or why twenty twenty? Like, so I'm. It's my, more kind of a loose date, but. I think Pep and Klopp leaving and we have to be realistic like these are both City now and obviously Liverpool Forever are much bigger clubs than us with much bigger finances so there will always have to be an element of it where we have to wait for them to sod off a little bit and get a one because in our current iteration as a football <laughs> club we're never going to dominate but if we just sneak one who gives a shit like we could have snuck one under Poch and if that was the <laughs> only one we snuck would any of us give up like who yeah. cares so that's all, no, I'm all, no. all I'm after is sneaking that one so when you're coming up against clubs whose revenue is two, three, four hundred million higher than yours, and for all the criticisms I've had of Levy, he's not gonna find two hundred million down the back of the sofa. I'd just rather we spent the money that we have now and spent it slightly smarter, but that's a separate yeah. conversation. If we can do all that, then in two, three years is where we should be aiming to strike. So at the moment, like I said, like yeah. We need another right winger. We need another right back. We need a left back. We need two more centre backs. Hell, the backup goalkeeper. Because I look at City, is it even someone like Ortega is half decent? I'd rather key Van Kelleher, who I've seen a handful of games. Or like mm. even the the backup. Like it might seem a bit ridiculous, but you're talking about titles, and you're talking about we're living in an era where it's like I say to you now: Do you take ninety-seven points? All of us are like, yes. And then I say to you: Oh, sorry, mate, that's good enough for second. That's not been enough. Yeah. And that's not enough for a title. That's the sort of level of finesse that we need. And that's not the kind of thing that is going to happen anytime soon. So the answer is we need to upgrade on absolutely everybody. I agree with the sentiments of everyone. I think Wendy said it earlier. It's obvious that we have a good starting 11. I think the only kind of couple of question marks that we're not sure on it, maybe both flanks, largely because I think Johnson we've not seen too much of for various reasons, suspensions and injuries. And I think Kuluseski we've spoken about a lot and I think people broadly outside of just us in terms of his suitability to play that specific role on the right. But beyond that, the 11 is absolutely fine. But to sign eight, nine, 10 players or to allow Jamie Donnelly to come through or Dorrington to come through, again, that's two, three, four years worth of work. So I said it on the last episode, the whole point of moving away from win-now managers, you have to get rid of the win-now expectation. If you brought in a project manager, you then need to reassess your, your project expectation. This talk of the title and doing really well is fun and we're all getting really excited over the last sort of nine, because uh, of the first nine, 10 games. But we need to take a step back and start building for it slowly, slowly, and let's not run before we can walk.
2: Yeah. Question for you, Socks. Yeah. Will you die happy? And I'm not going to nibble, by the way, on the FC slander, yeah. like I usually would. <laughs> but um, will you die happy when we're shortly announced 16-17 champions? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, that will mean That's nothing. I've got no highlights. i got no memory. i got nothing I can look no. at on YouTube.
3: It will be... I'm not going to be happy just because the number on our Wikipedia changed from like two to three. The damage has been done.
0: All we want is one. All we want is one legitimate title. It doesn't matter how we get it. It doesn't matter when we get it. We'll be happy. We just want one, okay? Come on, is that too much to ask Lords of Football? Um, Before we talk about the the slightly shorter term because obviously there's a lot to talk about, I I just want to take it back to you quickly, Wendy. You asked us a question a couple of weeks back when we did a big Q&A birthday special. You asked us who we thought would be our player of the year next season. So I'm going to throw the exact same question back at you. Uh, You don't have to give one answer, but is there anyone in particular in the current squad, maybe some of the younger guys who you're particularly excited for in the future? The
1: problem is it's kind of too many to decide on one, isn't there? Like yeah. we've had so many breakout players this year. Yeah, we all said someone different, I think, when you asked us. And, and I think that's the thing. Like it's it's you can make a really good case for so many different players. I thought this year that Basuma would be player of the season, and already he's had a little bit of dip in form, yeah. and also Son has just been <laughs> incredible, scoring pretty much every week. So it's kind of looking like it will be Son this year. Maybe. Maybe, maybe it'll be Udogi next year he's just ridiculous yeah. he's, he's complete I mean the thing is with Udogi is it feels like there's so much more growth to come yeah he's already like the best left back we've had in a long time since peak Danny Rose and you feel like he can probably score seven goals a season as well yeah uh, he's just he's ridiculous he's really creative he's a good defender 1v1 almost as good as a <laughs> <laughs> and
0: he's, he's barely played any okay barely in a stretch but he's not played a huge amount of football I mean people talk about footballers by their age right but I think the, the footballing age is a big concept as well you look at someone like Belling mm. or Saka and you're like okay they're young but they're not effectively they're not young because they've played hundreds of games of football whatever it is he's relatively inexperienced even for a fairly young player so he, it kind of stands to reason that he's got such a huge room for growth so but yeah, really mm. excited about, about I, a doggy.
2: I've been thinking this about a doggy for a while, and this might go up with ridiculous things I said. about you remind me of forever. <laughs> no, no. I think look, I wouldn't be shocked to see doggy, especially given his size. I mean, he's six foot two strapping lads. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go the other direction to Bale and end up moving central eventually, especially because he is a really good passer of the ball as well. He obviously mm. has the recovery pace that... With Vengers new offside law potentially coming in, will become even more invaluable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking right now in terms of replacements for Van der Ven in that position. He may already be the best suited player in the squad we yeah. have just because There's, of his his pace and his size. I know it sounds mental, because He's probably not played that once though, in his career, it? but yeah, I mean. He wouldn't be the first large fullback to make that change, and he's definitely got what it takes in terms of sort of pace and ball playing ability. But the problem is, we we missed him in build up too much in the last match, and yeah. you he's
1: absolutely vital in that role. So yeah. you you. I agree like he probably is the best suited to playing yeah. left-sided centre-back but he's also so critical in the role he already plays plus he'd probably be a really good winger plus mm. at some point in the season he'll probably play as a striker. <laughs> yeah. uh, filling in you know
0: he can pretty much play anywhere yeah. the drop-off from him to Emerson on that left was arguably one of the biggest drop-offs I think in, in our team that oh was, goodness, that was yeah. quite painful Right. Let's look at the slightly shorter term then. Obviously, exciting future, exciting times ahead when we fluke our first Premier League title in a couple of years' time. But Dave, the word crisis is thrown around a lot in football. You know only too well what a real crisis looks like. <laughs> you got Tottenham in a crisis right now because I think some of the language that's been used to describe our situation has been quite colourful. I'm looking at you, socks. <laughs> How bad is it for Spurs at the moment? Um, Should we be panicking? No, no, you
4: shouldn't. I, I would say, based on everything that's just been spoken about, especially Sox's commentary on that, like, three years until you guys are in a position to really challenge for the title, it'd probably be fair to define this season, then, as your best chance to win the title in the next three years. Because, obviously, as soon as next season comes across... You'll be in Europe, and therefore you'll have an extra, you know, ten games to to contend with. Assuming you go oh. all the way to the final, so that's interesting to think about, isn't it? You know, it's all downhill from here for the next three years. Good luck with that.
0: that that's a real downer, Dave. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd look at it from the other side of the of the, uh, of the corner, so to speak. Um,
4: but yeah, crisis, no crisis, basically. Yeah. Uh, in short, yeah, you've got a couple of injuries, and you've replaced them with international class footballers. So you know, it could be really quite worse. It's a yeah. difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, Wendy's given us a really good view of some of the youth that is coming through and some of the talent you've got. And, you know, somebody from the outside looking in would look at the bench that you had against Wolves and you think, oh God, 50%, 50% of that bench I've never heard of. But 50% of that bench is players that maybe we you wish you hadn't have heard of because they're players who haven't really performed for you. Um, yeah. But, but you know, you've got to give a bit of, mm. um, put a bit of faith in the, in the youth. And I think a... Crisis in inverted commas that you guys are, are suffering at the moment is, you know, this is the kind of thing that led to Alan Smith coming off the bench for Leeds and scoring at Anfield, and it's the kind of yeah. thing that led to you know Liverpool struggling for goals and and throwing yeah. and throwing on Robbie Fowler, Harry Kane. You know, it's it. You know, you have to you have to look at the positives of this, and you know, let's face facts. We kind of had a had a good old go at Coglu and the last podcast for the dirge midfield three that was put out and the alternative that is to learn your lesson and put something a bit more attractive out and if he does that and it includes a a youngster and that youngster performs then brilliant and you'll soon forget about this crisis in in inverted commas
0: (laughs) there's a moment in the simpsons where i think lisa tells homer and I don't even know if this is true, but she tells Homer that the Chinese use the same word for crisis as they do for opportunity,
4: <laughs> which is basically what we are
0: saying, isn't it, Dave? <laughs> you didn't think we were going to be getting philosophical or quoting The Simpsons today, did you? Anyway.
2: Well, if he'd listened to us previously, he'd know that we quote Simpsons from time to time. We, we do.
4: We do indeed. Yeah. We probably, probably use <laughs> <a bit laughs> the, the word when we actually mean Zenith, so... <laughs> We do.
0: We do. (laughs) Moving on once again, uh, crisis or no crisis it's obviously a, let's say, dilemma to use a slightly milder word. Uh, We we need to figure out what our team looks like. And I think with the varying injuries and suspensions and international tournaments and, and form going up and down for certain players... We're going to see a few different iterations of the Spurs lineup over the next couple of months, invariably. So it, it is a bit of a conversation to be had. So um, I think, first of all, I think the defence, I imagine, is probably the least contentious. I'd be surprised personally if we see anything different to Poro, Dyer, Davies and udogi And then obviously Romero once he's back uh, from suspension for the foreseeable future. Does anyone so disagree with that? And would anyone like to see anything different? I know we talked about some of the youth players, maybe they're not ready. Does everyone agree that that's probably what we're expecting to see?
2: Can't really be anything else, can it? I mean, I think Sox was discussing last week yeah. about the pitfalls of throwing in a Phillips or something like that. And it obviously could go either way. Um, I mean... Phillips, I think Dorrington would likely be ahead of him in the pecking order anyway in terms of starts just based on having been coached at a higher level for a longer period of time. But I think defence has to just be the same for because we don't really have another option at the moment. I mean,
0: even Cessignon would have been nice to have fit right now and... I'm not exactly a fan. I keep, every time you mention him, I forget we have him. I forget he plays for us or technically <laughs> plays for us. Wendy, you were nodding your head when I, when I was saying that. But I mean, is there any part of you that expects that we we may get a glimpse of some of the youngsters in that position in centre-back? I know I've heard you guys talk about them before and I think the consensus is that it's probably a bit too soon. But who do you think is the more likely of Dorrington and Phillips to come into the first team at some point.
1: I prefer Dorrington but I think Phillips is probably ahead in the pecking order. I prefer Dorrington because I think he's better on the ball. Um, mm. he's, he's good at passing and he's also really good at carrying. Phillips is an absolute man mountain. He's a so <laughs> yeah. that, That's why I think he's ahead in the pecking order but I do think the centre-back role, as much as I've been kind of angling for Jamie Donnelly to get chances and I would angle for, you know, Yago Santiago to get chances if he were fit on the left, I think the centre-back role is different because it's so exposing. You know, mm-hmm. if you make one mistake in the centre-back role, you're done. You, you look silly. Yeah. You know, the fans are on your back and they're saying, yeah, they're not ready yet. Send yeah. off to leave one on loan. And I think that could be really damaging to a young player's confidence, especially when we've got so many other sort of backup players in the team right now. Yeah. So I do think the right thing to do is to stick with Dyer and Davis at centre-back and then just bring Udogi back as soon as he's ready. To be honest, yeah. I thought Dyer and Davis both did fine. I know Dyer was arguably responsible for both goals. I think it's really hard to pin them both on him. I think one of them probably more than the other. I thought he was really good in possession, way better than I expected. Like, Dier is not a bad player. He's been used in a system that has not suited him at all. Clearly, we can do a lot better and will do in the future, but he's not terrible. And he's certainly not terrible in the Postacoglu system. And Davis, I was really pleasantly surprised with as well. Like considering how little football he's played, yeah. he's probably our best I'm player. Man of the match. Yeah, yeah. I, he he got man of the match deservedly. So I think, um, yeah. I, I thought he was absolutely fine. There's no, I'm not panicking about the centre backs. To be honest, I'm more worried about Madison and the lack of creativity we have in the team. I think that's the bigger yeah. issue. I, I, I think having said that, Villa are the worst possible team to be playing with Dyron Davis at the back and playing a high line because they're so good at counterattacking and they've got so much pace and they will look to do that all the time. You know, the balls behind Dyron Davis are going (laughs) to be coming in all the time and they're going to have to run back to, to goal a lot. But maybe your doggy helps. And we saw Vicario
0: doing some incredible sweeping against Chelsea. So maybe maybe we see more of that. <laughs> yeah, let's put money down now on Vicario, man of the match for that one, shall we? Probably be facing a lot of shots. Is any part of you still clinging on to the Pierre-Amoor-Hoyberg ball-playing centre-back arc? I love that tweet. I wasn't sure quite how tongue-in-cheek it was. <laughs> did, did, <laughs> Do you think like, he's got what it takes? He did fine against Chelsea yeah. there. He, he
1: was quite heroic at times in that match when he was playing centre-back. And I've always thought, like in an emergency situation, he's kind of got the skill set to be able to play there. He's much better when he can see the game ahead of him. He's not good when he's taking the ball on the turn, but when yeah. he's got the ball and he's facing forward,
0: he's all right. Point him in the right direction, and he can do some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's see. We might have to. I well. mean, anyway, we're assuming we're we're at the worst. I'm actually going to use the word Nadir now. We're assuming we're at the worst Nadir of, um, of this situation. That this episode um, should just be worse. called the Nadir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The thing is with, with Hojbjerg,
2: yeah. and he's obviously someone that gets Spurs fans probably as divided as they have been since Genus was at the yeah. club. It was also harsh on Genus as well at the time. But Hojbjerg, when he actually has opportunity to be forward-thinking, as you just said, Windy... I mean, Brennan Johnson doesn't scuff the shot at the end of the game the other day. And Hojbjerg's won us the match with brilliant link-up play down the right-hand side. Brilliant passing, brilliant awareness, and not pace as such, but definitely a great run. So I think Hojbjerg is someone who... I mean, I I was against him being sold in the summer. I'd be against him being sold in January. I think he's someone that we really should be leaning on at the moment while the team is down Mm. to bare bones as such. I mean, Bentoncourt's building up his fitness. All right, Bentoncourt, when he's fully fit, will be our, especially with Madison out, our best midfielder, in my opinion. But Hojbjerg, at this point, especially given Pesuma's sort of weaknesses recently, is, is someone that this midfield needs.
0: Hoiberg is probably, arguably one of our best, maybe three, maybe four passes. I'd say, obviously, Madison Poro, I think, has to be in there as well. You could say Romero, different kind of passing, but I, I think Hoiberg's passing, especially over range, is as good as anyone's, really. So, got to find a place for that. Uh, speaking of Hoiberg, and you, you touched on the midfield there, and I think that is the bigger conversation, right? That's the most messed up part. Well, not the most messed up. I think the defense is more messed up, but it's probably the most complicated part to deal with. I think we can all agree we probably don't want to see a midfield of Saar, Hoyberg, and Basuma again anytime soon. I imagine we're probably all on the same page there. So we need a solution. Obviously, we've got suspensions. We've got injuries. What does our midfield look like for the Villa game, for the Man City game? And basically, until Madison comes back, obviously, Benton Kurtz's fitness is a factor. Who wants to take this one? Who wants to have a stand well, at what if- the Villa midfield should be?
2: If Benton Corr is capable of 60 minutes plus of football, he should start. He's, he's he been building up his. He
0: played for Uruguay.
2: He played for Uruguay, which. I mean, a lot of Spurs fans have said, why is he going off and playing time with Uruguay when he's been injured? (laughs) I'm of the opposite mindset. This is him getting matched sickness on somebody else's time. Mm. So I was happy to see him getting time on the pitch. And I think Benton Cole may not give us Madison's creativity, but what he does give us is the ability to control the pace of the game. He is a fairly press resistant player when he actually builds up into a stride. He's pretty quick. He can carry the ball really, really well. And he probably has the most awareness in terms of getting the ball into the flanks which we're going to be leaning on heavily for creativity of any midfielder we have now that madison's out so if we want to see kulezewski and johnson getting the ball in spaces where they can hurt the opposition i think he has to be in the sides and we're worried Mm -hmm. about our defense and how it's going to look against their very fast attack the solution to that is don't let aston villa have the ball play the guy who's going to keep you (laughs) in possession all game long in my
0: opinion. what are your thoughts on the midfield? If I had to pressure you to pick a midfield for the villa game now. Well, I would pick
1: Donnelly, but I think he's gonna pick LaCelso. I think he just I think yeah. he just brings in La probably for Hoybier. The benefit of Hoybier not starting is that we can bring him on and he's been really effective coming off the bench for the last twenty minutes yeah. of matches and we've kind of shored things up with him coming in and just keeping things simple, adding a bit of stability. And I I, I think he's been a really valuable asset in the first few weeks in terms of helping to close games out. I don't have a huge amount of faith in the Celso doing Madison things, mm. but I think he's all right. I think he's fine. As I said, I'd like to see Don Lee. I think maybe Don Lee gets a chance off the bench. But then, even if he does well, I can't see him starting against City. I think it'd just be it'd be too yeah. much. Too much, too soon, probably.
2: Is Lo much more than Harry Winks with an exotic name, at least when it comes to playing in the Premier League? (laughs) Because... And I really wanted us to get him off the back of his better season. I was far more excited about him than Ndombele, mainly because I'd seen a fair bit more of him than Ndombele. But for us, other than that sort of two, three-month period under Mourinho where he was paired with Harry Winks... I don't think he's ever shown himself to be anything other than industrious and neat. Um, not I, for I, us, anyway. Yeah, not, not for us.
0: Argentina or Villarreal, it's a different yeah, story. Yeah, also
2: look at the opposition they're playing. So I think you're probably right in that it's going to be Lo Celso. And I think I'll probably be equally hopeful that I'll be proven wrong in that. Would you take a midfield of Saar, Bentoncourt and Donnelly? Bentoncourt at the six.
1: Because Basum is suspended, isn't he? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm.
0: It's probably I, in that position.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't
1: start Benson Core yet. I just think we've already got these massive injury problems and we've got someone coming back from an ACL. Like, why would we risk some sort of breakdown for him? I mean, obviously, if the medics say he's up to it, then... <laughs> yeah, that's sure, the caveat but...
2: I put on that. Yeah.
1: Him
0: at the six, if he's actually capable of it. Mm-hmm. He'll have had some nice easy training sessions under Bielsa and international So he'll have been easing uh, back into play. (laughs) Not to
4: to, to throw a lead curveball, but yeah, getting match fitness by playing Bielsa ball is quite the (laughs) oxymoron. Um, But. Have you watched any of your advice since he's a goat, by the way? I've watched as much as I possibly can. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's it's just see? It's like a beautiful memory. <laughs> so, did you see Wenziger come on against, was it RDFSB? I, did, did yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he was industrious and he played some good football, as the whole team did. And one of the main traits mm. of Bielsa's teams and what they were doing for a large percentage of the end of that game was fast counter attacking football, which he was involved in. So, you know, it's, uh, you yeah. know, it, Bielsa doesn't play people unless they're fit. You know, we used to get pissed off. Yeah, uh, we used to get really pissed off. The only thing that annoyed us about Bielsa was that he held people back for too long before he thought they were ready to play. And that was either through fitness or through not understanding what he's trying to do. Yeah. And the fact that Benton Sikoren has A, been selected, B, been reviewed by the team, the coaching team that Bielsa has, and then played, I think that shows you that he might be a little bit more fit
0: than 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 we're thinking that he is. Yeah, but how long until they need him again? That's the big difference, right? With Leeds, they had another game the following week. It might be a different story. Probably, yeah, I don't true. know when their next Very game true. is. Sox, anything of that you disagree with in terms of the midfield? And obviously it may be a different midfield against Man City, so I guess we could say this opportunity to look ahead to that game as well. Pasuma won't be back. He's not been great, but you know, yeah. we don't want to give up on him just yet. What are your thoughts for the midfield over the next couple of fixtures?
3: Yeah, I agree with Windy, I think, closest in that obviously Pasuma being suspended forces a hand against Villa, and the most obvious thing to do is just to play Hoyberg there, to play Sar in his normal position. And then by process of elimination, unless he throws a curveball when it is Don Lee. He's even slightly eluded, and maybe it's me reading too much into a throwaway comment in a press conference, but he mentioned Brian Hill in the same mm. sentence and breath mm. as the salsa when he was talking about a Madison replacement. I would be shocked if that's yeah. the case. I mean, when he came on against Wolves, I think he deputized on the left-hand side, but that was like five minutes from time ten minutes from time. So it's not exactly a huge sample size or massively telling. I've got no, idea. I mean, it, I, I'm excited by stuff just because I'm excited about the unknown. And then you see the unknown and after five minutes, <laughs> it's like- That's why yeah, like it was it unknown. A, it's further <laughs> <you're laughs> known. Give me the known. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Schrodinger's number 10 or whatever it is. fair enough. We we do this with youth players. When your head is like, you know, you want the academy kid to come through and then you see the reality of it. Like when you haven't seen a player, it's easy to kind of start romanticizing and dream about it. And it's like, there's probably a good reason we haven't seen him yet. But I think LaCelso is, again, we mentioned it on the last podcast. This is who we have for this season. Forget what you might think of him in, in the long term. I'll slightly defend him a bit more than anybody else here in the sense that I think he's been a victim of being signed for Maurizio Pochettino we got sacked with it about ten games of him being signed, and then subsequent managers, in the case of Conte, just loaning him out completely. I mean, he hasn't been here for like eighteen months, for Christ's sake. So I do feel slightly sorry for him. My biggest contention with him is that he's so injury prone. Like, it would not surprise me in the slightest if he drops a ten out of ten masterclass against Villa and then is out for about eight weeks. That's that's the issue <laughs> I have with the if, Sass- I, if,
0: if he drops a ten out of ten, he's more likely to then be out for ten weeks because that's just what yeah, happens to yeah. us.
3: Yeah. I mean, Elliot mentioned Jermaine Genius. That's what he used to do. He used to play three, four games. So like, bloody, we've got an all-round box-to-box number eight here, and then he'd <laughs> get mysteriously injured yeah. in training and you never see it he never got injured on the
2: pitch it was always outside of the Run game and then the he pitch scored. A yeah. goal yeah. against Arsenal in the process as well
4: was this not La job interview for a January move to Unai Emery reunited
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite bad <laughs> it could well be actually yeah but, um, it could well be the interesting you mentioned Brian Hill it's worth mentioning in Wendy's tweet that I alluded to earlier about his preferred replacements for Madison you, you put Brian Hill in second place on that one uh, obviously we've not seen him in that role too much if at all what is it about Hill that makes you think that he could play in that position do well uh, it's the creative
1: passing It's and the tenacity to be honest he's, yeah. he's a good presser he's not got the sort of physicality yeah. that Madison has but he will press he'll cut out passing lanes he'll do a lot of the leg work that you need that because basically we we press in a four four two shape, so he would be up pressing with Son, and so there's yeah. a lot of work that goes on there, constantly dropping between the centre back and the deepest line midfielder, which for Villa will be Douglas Luiz, who's we need to stop getting on the ball as much as possible because he's absolutely critical. Yeah, he's to been them. very good. So it's a really important role. I imagine that whoever plays the role will probably only play 55, 60 minutes and, and then be replaced. So so maybe it'll be Lacelso and Hill or LaCelso and Benzancourt. Yeah, good point. I don't think any of the options are that bad compared to the midfield mm-hmm. we saw against Wolves, which I never, ever, ever want to see Foster Cockney play again, I, I
0: think. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a, a shame. Bit, uh, it's a shame because I think... Part of me, and I wrote an article recently on Saar actually talking about how versatile and how he could basically turn into anything. I still think he could turn into a, a 10 or an 8 slash 10, but he clearly isn't that yet. And how much of that is down to him having played on the left or the other players around him maybe not carrying their weight or the opposition or whatever it is, who knows. But he didn't look comfortable there and he wasn't the answer. He isn't the answer right now, that's for sure. I think we probably all want to see him play, but I don't think Saar is going to be the man for that that role, unfortunately.
2: I think my biggest issue with that midfield in the last game, in fact, all the players that came in from the cold for that game was that it felt like Postacoglu, having gone gung-ho, made the comments yeah. about we're still going to play this way with five men, it all was, that stuff. It was he a then, yeah, deals. He then kind of went for the safe bet. And I can understand doing that maybe with both centre-backs or one centre-back and one midfielder, but then throwing one of the young centre-backs in or something like that. But it just felt Mm. like he went for safety in every single decision he made there. And that's been the antithesis of everything he's done so far. So for Chelsea, he's getting all these plaudits for having the world with all to say, well, teams defend with 10 and 9 men until the last minutes and then lose anyway. So let's actually try and win with nine men, and yes, we still lost, but the records all show, look at Liverpool, look at Sheffield United, even you end up losing those situations anyway, so we might as well go for it. Then 11v11, 11 11, he chose to protect the weakest part of the team and he actually harmed players' positions that he didn't need to harm in the process by accommodating the ones who were coming in. And And that was the biggest disappointment for me because it was a very yeah. unposter thing to do. And I'm really hoping he's learned his lesson on that and actually backs his own ideology a bit more robustly in the next few
0: games. Well, assuming he does, let's try and be positive. Let's try and look to the future then. So we've got a couple of very difficult fixtures coming up. We've got Villa and we've got Man City, two teams that play quite differently, but two teams that we really would rather not be playing. (laughs) How do we beat them? It might interest you to know that I think if Rodri gets a booking against Liverpool, he's suspended for our game, which would be very nice. So uh, I think that's plan A, but assuming that that doesn't happen, (laughs) and obviously uh, they've got got one or two other half-decent players in there, so it's it's not going to be enough. But what's the game plan against Villa, who are obviously a really good transitional counter-attacking team with a lot of pace? We're not going to sit deep, we know that. What players do we pick and how do we beat them? And same question again for Man City. Keep the ball,
2: both games, keep the ball the more of it you have the less chance the other team has to score in Villa's case especially as they're a counter-attacking team the more we have of it the more rusty they will be when they do have the chance to get in behind the slower off the mark they'll be the less on their toes they'll be so keep the ball at all costs yeah. make sure our ball carriers see as much of it as possible so in Kulusevsky different position but it's the closest thing we have to what Dembele used to do in terms of being able to just single-handedly drive us up the pitch get the ball to him at every single opportunity when have this space in front of Brennan Johnson just trust him to outpace whoever's marking him and throw the ball ahead but what we can't do is try and pick the perfect moment every single time because with a slightly misshapen team yeah. if we try and pick the perfect moment for every pass every risk we take then we'll end up doing exactly what we did in the last game and it will hurt us
0: when you got any hope of us getting a result out of either of those games? Do you uh, have any grand plans for how I, to take I them? I
1: agree. On? I agree with what Elias just said. The other thing I would add is I think set pieces will become increasingly vital over the next two games. Madison has been taking a lot of our set pieces, but Porro's really really good at set pieces and Dyer's is a threat, you know. <laughs> like I know he, he, he we, we mm. we've not been good at set pieces until last season and suddenly it feels like we are a bit of a set-piece team now. And Dyer is a legit threat from Paris balls. Also, in pre-season, Udoggi scored a header at the near post from a set-piece. And I'm surprised we haven't seen him did, yeah. making more of those sort of near post darts. I wonder if that's something we'll see over the next few games, because we're just going to need to score from somewhere, and it
0: might be the set pieces has become slightly more prioritized. Dave, I'm going to push you for some predictions on both of those games. Oh, you're God. allowed to say that we're going to lose both if you must, but I'd like you to show you're working. Oh God! Um. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> how can I say this in a nice way? <laughs> I think you'll get a point between the two games. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll get a point. I think you'll get something against Villa, and I think it'll be a step too far against City, and I think they'll they'll have too much for you. Yeah. Um, I think Elio is absolutely spot on in terms of how you best approach both of the games. I think you need to try and. Well, almost almost hide the ball from City, but, <laughs> but but obviously use it where you can. Yeah. It's gonna be tricky, but I do think, as we've talked about on this pod already, that Udoggy returning is not only positive for your defence but positive for you going forward and, and I think could be yep. a big difference when you compare the performance against Wolves to what we see next week.
0: Do we stick Eric Dyer and Haaland? Well, I kind of think you want to
4: put whoever you think is going to wind him up the most. Oh, on, we're missing uh, Romero, on. unfortunately. I think, I, I think he's got the potential to get a bit a bit stroppy and a bit whiny. So, you know, you never know. You know, <laughs> he has, misses or doesn't get the, the right ball for the first 15 minutes and you've got the right person to give him a bit of a wind-up, then
0: you never yeah. know. So in summary, keep the ball, wind them up, and pray is essentially <laughs> our three-point strategy for, for that game. Yeah, keep slash hide. Yeah, yes, yeah. Sorry, rugby jumper, like like an Australian rugby union team in the eighties. So you're not always the most optimistic Spurs fan. I think it's fair to say. Have you got any any hope for the next couple of games, or are you thinking more of? Uh, no. You just want to see the bare bones of it. <laughs> is it back to the, no. the preseason point now, where you think we're going to lose, but let's lose with style at least. Let's, let's at least stay true yeah. to our guns and make it look pretty
3: i've got no hope at all (laughs) i think we'll lose at least two of the next four it wouldn't surprise me if it's three i think the media narratives will be talking about how we've done a spursy and we've collapsed from a title race that we never realistically thought we'd be in I think in the long term, we'll be absolutely fine. I just think this is going to be a bit of a painful, bumpy period because, again, to sort of quote myself from earlier, like this is the whole point of going to the project manager. There are going to be bumps. There are going to be painful periods. Arsenal under Arteta, Liverpool under Klopp, ourselves under Pochettino, Mm -hmm. this is just part of it. And we all said this at the start of the season. There were some very clear, glaring weaknesses in the team. We were like, oh my God, what happens if Madison goes down? Oh my god, what happens if Van der Ven goes down and they both went down within about half an hour of each other? And then you've got the suspension. Like it's not look, I'm not being negative for the sake of being negative. I'm just looking at the team. I'm looking at the weaknesses. I'm looking at the players that we've got coming in. I'm looking at our opposition. I'm thinking I'm not gonna say we're gonna win just because I want us to win. I think we could easily get carved open. I don't think we're gonna get killed like six or seven-nil by anybody unless we, you know, go down. Like, I don't think we're gonna be absolutely destroyed. I back us to be competitive in the way that look, we didn't really create very much against Wolves, but we could have kind of gotten away with a smashing ground. Mm. I don't think Villa are going to come to us and tear us apart. I think they've come away to some big size. You look at, think think, Newcastle at the start of the season and they got exposed they got with their defence as well because they play, for as counter as they are, they did not adjust to the threat of... Isak or Barnes when he came on, it could have been six or seven that one. The same when they went away at Anfield, similar sort of thing. Like there are frailties in that system that could be exposed. And again, this is a team that are missing sort of Buendia, Mings. They've got some injury problems of yeah. their own. Obviously, they're very, very good, but that is, you know, to throw out a kind of Jamie Wren, that best cliche. Like that is the Premier League. Like that is the quality <laughs> of the league. You can lose to anyone at any moment. And unfortunately, we're in that fragile period. So at the moment, I'm in a clutch in everything until January. And I'm I'm kind of bracing myself a little bit for worst case scenario. But to go back to what you know, saying before, it's like the reason I'm ready for the season to end is that I've seen enough and and that's why I'm not particularly worried Andrew's earned my trust. The first 11 has earned my trust. If we lose the next four on the bounce, my opinion will change not one iota on absolutely anything. My opinion on the manager won't change. My opinion on the squad, which is uh, maybe it's a bit premature because it's only been a handful of games. And, you know, under Conte last season, we were doing pretty well after seven or eight, but you can just smell it. Like when you've watched football long enough, you just know it's not, you don't need to scientifically or logically break it down. You can smell bullshit. You can smell when something's (laughs) good. And at the moment, I think the last couple of months won't be smelling the roses, but I think in in the long term if we back this guy we'll be absolutely fine so brace for the moment yeah. but look, the, the one thing I would say and this is almost like a not that I have the authority to kind of do a call to arms to the supporters <laughs> but the atmosphere around the club in the first sort of eight or nine games giving the players a standing ovation with a three or four one down at home to Chelsea is something I've never seen at Tottenham really even in the Pochettino yep. era all I would say is let's just hold on over a little bit and let's not panic yep. and obviously as all four fans, myself included, were so fickle, were so reactionary, were so emotional. That's the beauty of the sport. Like that's the whole point of it. If we weren't, it would just be boring all the time. Yeah. But let's try not overreact the other way. If it does go into a bit of a bumpy period, let's just. To I don't want to use the term because it's being associated with Arsenal a lot, but trust the process. Oh, for God's sake, and- I was about to <laughs> compliment <Yeah>. you <laughs> and say
2: you held short <laughs> you of a willet chest. Trust the process. Such <laughs> <That's> a great <laughs> diatribe, <laughs> and you finished
4: off with going full Lego heads. Hold be- the line. No, I hold the oh, line. I-
2: no.
3: I remember very randomly an Eric Dyer tweet from around 2016 where he hashtagged Trust the process. So I don't know why I've got that memory yeah. in my head, but I'm going to quote that as my defense. Well, it would just be
0: typical of them, wouldn't it? They stole our place in the top flight. They stole our stadium. They might as well steal our cash phrase as well, yeah? We've gone from quoting The Simpsons to quoting Jamie Redknapp to quoting Mikel Arteta. I feel like this is gradually going downhill. <laughs> we need to start thinking about wrapping this up soon. Well, uh, <laughs> Wendy, do you think that if we do lose the next couple of games or if we lose maybe two or three out of the next four games do you think the pressure will start to mount externally on possible glue because I feel like he's got a lot of credit in the bank and it's a while before our fans start pointing fingers at him and turning on him but do you think the narrative is on the edge of turning into this guy's actually a fraud after all doesn't know what he's doing he's naive
1: (sighs) oh it would be ridiculous if that happened I mean he's shown enough already that you know he's won three manager in months in a row he's he's really fucking good (laughs) (laughs) And there's so much context, isn't there? Like both of your centre-backs missing at the same time is pretty ruthless. And then the creative player you signed and who you've needed for two years is gone as well. Like it's completely understandable that things would be a little bit difficult for a few games. If we lose six out of eight or or worse, then yeah, of course, like then legitimate questions have to be asked because he's clearly not finding solutions to the problems that have arisen. But I think he's got enough wherewithal to make sure that doesn't happen. To be honest, like, we yeah. we could lose the next two games against Villa and City, and then we could win the next four. Like I, I'm, I feel that confident that he'll figure it out. And when Romero comes back, we'll have a bit more strength at the back as well. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not concerned. I still think we'll finish top four. I think we'll have a really strong end of the season. Ben Zencar will be completely fit by then. January is going to be difficult because we won't have Basuma, Saar, and Son. But hopefully, we'll sign some players, and all the other teams will be weakened from those other competitions as well. So, I still feel supremely confident. I mean, Socrates said it spot on. You know, we, we regrettably we do have to trust the process. We've got a manager who, des- <laughs> who deserves that trust, um, and, and I think yeah. he's shown enough already that. The fans and the club have faith in him
0: and we'll be just fine. I might just have to name this episode Trust the Process just to wind up Elio that oh little God. bit oh more um, I'm going to walk
2: when he's going to take me to the extra inch <laughs> and then you'll have nobody credible left on the show <laughs> a, new,
0: a new splinter podcast Finally, some good form. News. Yeah, that was <laughs> up down along. long yeah, just like Spurs we've been playing the long game too uh, fantastic well look I know, there's obviously so much more we can get into because it's Spurs and we're never short of conversation points but guys thank you all so much for today that's probably Probably more than enough before we all start fighting and elio storms off <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll wrap things up but once again windy thank you so much for joining Cheers, us it's so, a real to pleasure to have you on and really good to have you on and i guess let me give you the floor for a minute just to tell our listeners where they can find you if they're not by chance already familiar with the extra inch where can find you on social media tell us where the podcast is and all that oh, stuff. thank
1: you so much no thank i really appreciate you inviting me on it's been really nice to talk to you all as i say i've, I've been enjoying your pod anyway so it's, it's a pleasure to be here so on X, underneath the Twitter, uh, it's just (laughs) at The Extra Inch. The podcast you can find on all your regular platforms, just search for The Extra Inch. The Patreon is what we're particularly proud of where Nathan's producing tactical videos, patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in Spurs Tactics, I would say this but I genuinely believe I don't think there's a better place to go than our Patreon we've got a Discord community behind the paywall where there's some really interesting and smart people discussing Spurs and it's often through a tactical lens Nathan makes videos I do reaction podcasts. I also do a second podcast with Chris Somersell, who is a coach and analyst who works in professional football and the Spurs former season ticket holder but he now lives in Edinburgh so he doesn't get down so often that's Mm -hmm. called Straight Off The Training Ground that's a really enjoyable pod to record as well so there's lots of stuff there to get your teeth into if that sounds like your kind of thing then give it a go for a month you can always just sign up for a month pay six quid or whatever it is and then just binge all the content and and unsubscribe (laughs) and then share it with
0: your your friends and family yeah just like it's netflix yeah yeah absolutely Uh, i second all (laughs) of that absolutely could not agree more it's a great place to go for a little bit more analytical spurs chat absolutely one of my favorite podcasts and go and check them out and if any of you fancy paying us for extra content then let us know we'll start putting something together shall we now that we're officially (laughs) approved by windy and the x range teams So uh, once again, thank you so much for joining. Um, I hope everyone who's listened, whether that's our listeners or the inch X subs, has enjoyed this. And we hope as many of you can join us as possible for our next episode where we will be looking back on that Villa game and hopefully making a few of us eat our words after a surprising win. So until then, you stay classy, Spurs fans. We'll see you again next week.